It's Tennessee Titans talk draft week. Boom, we're not, here. Not even a week, really just four days. No, this is draft week. This is yeah. not draft in a week. It's like, we're officially, it's Sunday, April 23rd. It's draft week. If it were 2017, yeah. I'm packing my bags and prepping prepping my, my wardrobe and buying us all three um, matching drawstring bags. That's what you I were so pumped for that year that you really oh. probably did pack like five days early. I, I was really pumped too, but I'm sure I packed that morning. Yep. <laughs> I was beyond excited. <laughs> so we got a lot of prospects to talk about. A lot of things in the air. We're going to be a really fun draft. We are going to talk Titans and Titan-centric prospects. So if we have to do the obligatory, here's the big NFL news, don't lose us. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the good stuff. But we, we got to go around the NFL a little bit. I, I don't know. It's like, I feel like there's going to be a lot of activity this Thursday in the first round of the draft. But don't y'all feel Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers are kind of holding up the activity? And it's so weird that basically everybody knows he's going to play for the Jets, but no deal has been done. And the same thing with the Lamar-Baltimore standoff. Do y'all feel like that has kind of held up, you know, trades and activity to this point? I don't think it's held up trades and activity. I think those are just the biggest names in in the league right now. And recently it's come out that Rodgers has told his agent that it's Jets or nothing. So, I mean, he's either going to be a Jet or he's going to retire if he's true to his word. And this is a guy that spent four days in a darkness cave. So I kind of think that all this stuff was leading up to this weekend or this upcoming weekend where things are going to happen and teams are going to want to, you know, fortify their rosters and understand what they need to draft so i kind of think if if something happens it's going to happen this week i I mostly agree i I think that the way the draft turns out will then inform how the quarterback movements goes down because a lot of these teams they don't want lamar right now because they don't want to give their pick this year and maybe they they like a guy they want to trade up or they think he'll be there but odds are you just look at the numbers there are more teams that need or want a young rookie quarterback than there are teams that can legitimately get get one so it comes down to there are going to be a couple teams coming out of draft weekend that didn't get one of the top five quarterback prospects are sitting there looking around going all right what do we do do we go after lamar and get the best guy in the market do we go and look at lower mid-level options like Tannehill's been put back into the trade news discussion which for any Titans fan that's been in the loop he's always been available it's just that for a while the market sell down but there are going to be teams that don't have a quarterback that will want one for one reason or another that will kind of give the quarterback movement market a little kick a little kick in the butt I think the holdup with Lamar is the fact that it's a restricted free agent tender and any team that wants to trade for him is going to have to give up two first rounders. If that were not on, I think he would have been traded weeks ago. I think that's what Landon's saying is they're going to wait till after this draft so they don't have to, so they'll be 24 and 25 picks. Well, all right, but even still, I don't think teams are going to want to give up two firsts and give up that much future draft capital for Lamar. If that restriction weren't on there, I think it would have been done. So well, I, we'll I think, see next week yeah. after some teams, like he says, so there's going to be at least two teams that swing and miss. This so is true, very we'll, true. We'll evaluate that, but it, nothing may come of it. And it's holding up any Tannehill possibilities. It's holding up a lot, he and Rodgers. So it's really interesting. I don't know. It's going to be fun with these quarterbacks. Everybody just assumes all four of these guys go top 10, top 8. 
The Titans are, of course, implicated, especially with Will Levis, the fact that you know, he might be there at 11. So many across the national media uh, anticipate that we may trade up. I, I don't I don't see it here locally. I just don't. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. Atlanta and I have spent all weekend watching YouTube videos of, of some of the top prospects and guys we might take from, from positions we need. It's been fun. It's been eye-opening. We've done this in years past. We've learned a lot, and we've hit on a lot of these guys that we wind up liking. We'll talk about several of those guys. But as far as across the NFL, What's the other news that's hitting or coming around? For me, that the Texans seem like they legitimately non-smokescreen might pass on a quarterback at two. What do you guys think of that? We'll start with you, Lan. At first, when it came out, it read as a really weird and dumb smokescreen because they don't have anything to gain by smokescreening because Carolina is taking Bryce Young. They can't do anything to change that. They obviously want Bryce Young. They're not going to get him. But the thing is, there's no one ahead of them that they're trying to trick. So they have nothing to gain by leaking this and saying, hey, we're not going to take a quarterback unless it's to root out some people in the front office that have been leaking to the press. My second thought is they released it early so when they do pass on a quarterback at two on Thursday night, the idea has been planted in people's minds and it's been allowed to fester and grow for two weeks. So when it happens, it's more of, wow, they actually went through with that and, and not, they did what? So I mean, I can understand because Bryce Young is clearly the best quarterback in this draft. If you don't like a second guy and your roster is so terrible as their roster is, there's nothing wrong with taking the blue chip edge rusher, which you really need in Will Anderson. Because guess what? Every position but offensive tackle where you've got Tunzel and Titus Howard, that's the one position where you're good. That and running back with Damian Pierce. Other than that, you suck. You need everything. Take the best player in the draft at two if you don't like a quarterback. Yes, you need a quarterback to be to contend and you need them to be a real team, but guess what? When you're as bad as the Texans are, you can afford to wait because yes, you need a quarterback, but you need so many other things. And if you're taking a quarterback and putting them on the team and he's got no help around him, that's not helping anyone, especially if you're not loving him. Don't reach on a guy just because he's a quarterback when he's got no help. Take the guy that if it's if take the guy in Will take the guy in Will Anderson whose biggest flaw is that he didn't repeat an all-time great defensive season two years in a row. I mean, this is a guy that is a two-time unanimous All-American at Alabama, put up historic production, won every award he could twice, and people are going like, well, maybe Tyree Tyree Wilson is better. Well, this or that. If he were eligible last year, he would have been the no-brainer number one pick to the Jags. No question. If you take him at two, I have no problems with that. That is a good move because you need to reestablish the foundation of your team. I think they leaked it because they are very serious about that. D'Amico Ryans, coming from San Francisco in that loaded defensive line, knows the value of having that superstar edge rusher. And they just want to get ahead of the media frenzy of, you're so stupid and crazy and dumb, you passed on a quarterback when you needed a quarterback and this and that. Your thoughts, big fella? I don't know. I could see the Texans doing a number of things. We've talked about it before. Will Anderson makes the most sense. Like you said, Lane, it would suck for us being in division, playing him twice a year. Also, the same team that umpteen years ago took Javion Clowney with the first pick. They took Mario uh, Williams. Mario Williams. Bush way back then. Yep, Mario Williams. This is a team that historically has taken that defensive talent at the top of the draft when they've been there. So I would not be surprised one bit if they take Will Anderson, I, especially if they're not sold on Stroud, like you're talking about. Like Bryce Young is gone. That that's that's over with. I mean, he stopped taking draft visits. It's the surest thing since you know the invention of the wheel. Like it's not it's not going to change. And, and I, so I I think they're they're going to take Will Anderson. There's nobody else that they're going to take. I saw a mock draft today. I think it was Reuter, and he had them taking Will Levis. Like you've got to be kidding me. They are not going to take Will Levis at two. Not going to happen at all they're not going to take richardson they're not going to take hooker they're not going to you know they're, they're not going to do that they've already got the best left tackle in the game in tonsil um 
So that eliminates top uh, top line talent. There's no receiver worthy of the number two pick. So it's got to it's got to be Anderson. If I it think is, there's no question to be Anderson is not a quarterback. If it's a doubt, yeah, because we've talked about this off screen that this year is definitely a down year in terms of receiver talents, defensive line talent, linebacker talent, and most importantly, the top end talent. Because in years past, there's eight to ten guys that go in the t- that you can see go in the top ten. And it's like yes, they hit every box. They have everything you win. This year, there's only a couple guys. And Will Anderson is clearly the best of that bunch. And he plays the second most valuable position. There's nothing wrong with that. And if they do go Will Anderson, it makes Week 18's, the Week 18 debacle even more monumental and hilarious in hindsight because not only did Lovey Smith give the organization the middle finger and <clears throat> screw them out of Bryce Young. If it, it gets to the point that they were Bryce Young or bust and he screwed them on that, it becomes one of the most... Especially if Bryce Young turns out good, it becomes one of the most impactful, mm-hmm. me- meaningless games, quote unquote, meaningless, meaningless scenarios in NFL history because this is a team that was complete garbage all year, was getting blown out left and right, and all they had to do was lose one more game. And they did, and the coach they hired as a one-year scapegoat, they let him know he wasn't coming back, and maybe would he have won the game no matter what just to say f you to the team? Would he have done that if Chicago wouldn't have gotten the first overall pick? Who knows? But he did. Yeah. He screwed him over, and now this is a team that was the worst team in the NFL last year, probably the most hopeless, and they're stuck because Bryce Young is awesome. Yes, he has questions, but Tunzel and Howard, and hopefully Kenyon Green develops, and they'll get some interior offensive linemen. That's a really good situation for him, and you could have had him if you just done what the Bears did. Guess what the Bears did in the last week of the regular season to try and get the first overall pick? They played Mike Glennon and Tim Boyle. Tim Boyle should not be on an NFL roster, and guess what? They tanked shamelessly. Why? Because they had a coach who's going to be there for the long run, who knew the value of having this top pick, who knew that he was going to stay and have his input. Lovey Smith, why should he care about losing one last game for you? You hired him. You gave him a dog shit roster. You're, you're letting him walk. Why should he help you at all? And especially with the way that the Texans front office and ownership generally are seen as... Why should he help you? That's, this is what they deserve for continually tanking without having a vision of tank, hiring one after the other, just useless, wet noodle of a coach who's going to be gone one year and just keep retraining, keep getting top picks. They have no vision because if they had hired D'Amico Ryans last year or Eberflus or any coach to a long-term deal, like D'Amico Ryans is on a six-year contract now, they would have lost that last game. They would have known, hey, we love Bryce Young. He's the only quarterback we want. We'll lose this game. We'll get our quarterback. We're all good. But you didn't because you're cheap and you're lifeless and you're a joke. And this is what you brought on yourself. They better (laughs) hope that uh, Bryce Young is not as good as some people think for sure. And I like Landon's point earlier that maybe Houston's front office is floating this so they won't get laughed off the stage and there won't be a terrible reaction. I think they are a little self-conscious. John, a little insecure about their roles. Oh, for sure. And I think they did that because there's no upside to floating it. But there is a downside to not. Uh, The surprise pick like Chicago did in 2017, those don't always go over well. Man. And I think national media jump on them, make them look dumb, and people get fired over that. So I think they're floating it to see, throwing it on the wall, see if it sticks, as it were. I do think Houston benefits from having 12 if they're Maybe they do like Levis or Richardson. They could easily trade right back up. They have uh, extra picks beyond 12. If they really like a guy, they could go right back up pretty easily and do that or see if he goes to 12. And especially there are the, more yeah. options than the typical let's pass or not pass teams have. And especially sure. with Levis because it's sounding like at least in reading all the media discussion, their marks and the intel they're getting is that he is the one that is going to fall if there's going to be a faller. 
like Stroud and Richardson have their awards. They're definitely no Bryce Young, but they're not falling to 10 all the time. They're not falling past that. They're not falling like Levis is, and for good reason. And if they really like Levis and they're worried we'll take him, they can trade up to 10 with Philly or nine with Chicago or eight with Atlanta. A bunch of teams yeah. where there probably won't be that superstar talent on the board that will want more picks. You get your quarterback. That's all good. I wonder if I, that's not part of contingency, John. It might be, but I think they are completely content taking a mid-tier quarterback, maybe second, third round, and they can take like Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, with their other first round pick and surround that team because they are one that could easily tank next year. You know, I've, we've texted at, at length about tanking for Caleb Williams many a times over the last couple days and I think it's harder to tank in today's NFL but they are very easily a team who could be at the bottom of the barrel for next year and in that running so if they really love the guy for next year I think they could easily take Anderson at two take uh, whatever the best receiver they think at 12 and then load up and maybe even take like I said maybe take a mid mid-tier quarterback like maybe maybe hookers there in the second or Maybe Bo Nix later on. I don't know. I mean, they could they could patch it together and plan for next year. Houston certainly controls the flow of the draft, especially at the top, because if they don't take Stroud at two and he's suddenly there at three, Arizona's in a position where they will want to trade out for sure because it's Anderson or Bust at three for them. If Anderson's gone, they'll want to trade up. Assuming all this recent hit job on Stroud about his S2 test scores not being that great, is all just sabotaging so he falls. You'll have plenty of teams that want to trade up for Stroud. Now, create even more buzz because Indy will want to trade up to three. Vegas will want to trade up. We'll want to trade up. Houston might want to trade back up. So Houston really controls the top of the draft. And speaking of the top of the draft, where we pick, Nathan and I, have we've been grinding the tape really hard this weekend, and we have found our guy at 11. Roger Jones, the left tackle from Georgia. Look, Dennis Daly is gone. Thank God. We signed Andre Dillard, but you watch Roderick Jones and you can just see the potential and the upside that Dillard doesn't have. Because this is a guy that was a five-star recruit. He was the 19th overall recruit in his class. He was a basketball player in high school. He looks like it on the football field. He has to have the leanest calves of any offensive lineman ever. The way he moves in space is just, it's unreal for this draft class. Because we watched him, then we watched Skaronsky, and we watched a couple other guys, and it's like, they look like they're running in mud, and Broderick Jones just glides in space. And he's only played one year, but he was elite in the SEC. He was very good against Ohio State in the playoffs. This is a guy who has all the physical tools you want. He's super young. He has the run blocking we need. And in a draft where there's not really that top in talent, Broderick Jones has the best combination of traits and upside that we're looking for because we always need more offensive linemen. Because Dillard and Brunskill were backups. Maybe they become okay stars, but they were backups for a reason because everyone needs more linemen. If they can't get on the field, that's the reason. Broderick Jones is really young. He's got the pedigree. He's got the traits. He's got the tools. And he has a, he, I don't want to guarantee he'll be there at 11, but there's a very good chance because this, this offensive line class at the top is not that stellar. And the teams picking at the top have bigger needs. So it's really just the Raiders, the Bears, and the Eagles are our threats to getting an offensive lineman at 11. And Broderick Jones doesn't fit them because he's really a pure tackle. Like Skaronsky and Paris Johnson can kick into guard. Broderick Jones is a pure tackle. And just you watch him in space. You throw on any game and you watch how he blocks and runs in space. And just the explosiveness in his hips. And you can easily see him becoming a pro bowler in the future. 
Yeah, it looks um, big fella like he has. Brian Jones has a lot to learn. He started 15 games all last year, and I worry about the Georgia guys, the guys that play on these great teams, because really he only had one guy to block. It wasn't complicated. Just the way he moves is so good. He doesn't really look like a lineman. Like we watched a lot of Wright from Tennessee, we really like him, but he's just you know he's a refrigerator with legs and arms. You know, like sure. this guy is an athlete, and you see where he could really get stronger. Even though you can tell he needs to get stronger and use his hands more, nobody beats him inside ever. And I don't know. I, there's just something about watching all these guys. One guy kind of stands out. Roger Jones, I thought, would be more of the consensus like third tackle, but it looks like a lot of the national media guys that seem to halfway know what they're doing, I think they like Jones uh, second. Some consider Scroncy a guard, uh, and so he's second for that reason. But I don't – and you see how our coaching staff is going to like the upside and athletic upside. Yeah. I think we might see Broderick Jones at 11. I think, you know, honestly, we've talked at length. I, I would be fine with any offensive lineman at 11 that deserves to be there. I think, like you're saying, Broderick Jones, they look at him distinctly as a tackle where the other guys like Skronsky and even Paris Johnson Jr., We've it's either tackle guard, like they can slide into either spot. But I think Broderick Jones is slotted at a tackle. I mean, he's got pretty similar measurables to the other guys, Skronsky and Paris Johnson. I think his athleticism makes him... A better tackle prospect like Joneses have longer sport. arms and he did run a sub 540 so I think he does have better measurables than those other two guys when I when I'm talking about measurables I'm talking about height weight they're right around the same side between 64 to 66 and around 315 all, all three of those guys arms are different obviously Skronsky's got the smallest arms out of the three of them and which is why he projects more at a guard and the other two more towards tackle but Johnson is kind of in between her um I mean the guy ran a sub 540 I mean that's that's impressive for a guy that after yesterday I, and you mentioned this too john uh, i just told landon i just want us to take a tackle i just want to yep. get the monkey off our back i don't want to worry about that's some decent strategy but they're backups and let's just throw our major asset which is 11 at our biggest need and i wouldn't be surprised after this weekend it's like oh no we have a left tackle and you know we really like um petite freer moving forward it's like oh well okay but that's scary yeah, we'll see a, if they go all plan. in let's and and for what we want to see i want to see more henry i want to see more of that get back to that dominant stuff i want to see how he can finish his career i really do the right thing to do is to work on this offensive line this is what has been our mo for years what we want to do the kind of team we want to be i hope they really lean in uh put all the chips in and do that as it were uh, Skaronsky could be a Titan for sure. He is Ben Don't Break. He is a technician, and he did it very well, and he had to do a lot more complex stuff, and he obviously knows exactly where the ball's going. He was really good, and he's polished, but uh, he's never going to be like the best left tackle in the league, and I think he will stick at tackle, but he's going to be good. He's going to be way above average, and I, and I think there's a big market for that. Juwan Taylor just got like $20 million a year for being the eighth or tenth best left tackle in football. I mean, that tells you that how, even though Skaronsky may not have a high ceiling that he's going to have a lot of value come Thursday. So Landon and I watching tape, we, you watch Georgia, you see a lot of guys that are going to be drafted this year and next year. Darnell Washington, who, you know, Landon is probably, I think, his favorite prospect um, in this draft. The guy, you forget, like, he looks like a lineman. Like, he's ridiculous. And uh, they did limited passing stuff with him, but he he was pretty serviceable. You can just imagine, like, if we went all in 11 with Jones and 41 with Washington, all this painstaking awfulness that we did on the left side of the line, I think they would just put Washington out there and run a lot of 12 stuff. And they, I think they put Chig out there, let him move around, let this guy block on the left-hand side. 
and the ghost of Dennis Daly could be properly removed. <laughs> uh, you you see that, and that's a lot of resources to give, but it was that bad for us. I don't know. You kind of see where, man, that would be super fun to have a really big blocking tight end like that. A guy who down the road, like Johnny Smith, who's not near as big as this guy, started as a blocker and kind of moved into a really dangerous kind of third down and then goal line guy. You just kind of fall in love with these guys, and you can kind of see how it could all work. I'd love Jones at 11. I think that's officially what I what I would like to see happen. So it makes me kind of move to 41. We looked at other guys. I think our fan base wants another receiver. I don't want one at 11 because I don't know why we need to take first-round receivers in two. That's just not our MO. That's not what we do. I don't think it helps Derrick Henry that much. So I'd like to see a lineman. I usually don't like a tight end early, but Darnell Washington is kind of fun because I think he could block. Some guys at 41 that we watched and, and we really liked. I really like Marvin Mims from Oklahoma, and he doesn't get a lot. There's not a lot of discussion about him, but I think he might be available at 41. This guy's from Texas. He went to Lone Star High School in Frisco, John, which sounds like if you were writing Friday Night Lights fan fiction, that'd be the name of your high school. He averaged in his career 20 yards a catch. I mean, the guy was a really good player. He had his big year last year as a true junior. This guy's just now just a few months ago turned 21. I think if we are going to go receiver, I hope we wait till after the first round. And I certainly think he and a few other guys will talk about Marvin Mims. Uh, what jumped out with you to in reference to, to Marvin Mims, Lane? To me, it's really the just the production profile of him because I knew coming into our film session with him that he was super explosive. He had a great last year. But the two years before that are kind of so-so because I was just looking at the yards. Like he had 700 yards as a sophomore, 650 as a freshman. So you're like, Okay, that's good, but it's Oklahoma. Usually their best receiver is putting up over a 1,000. They've got these Heisman-winning offenses and all that. Then you dig into it. He led them in receiving yards every year of his career. So his numbers, even though they didn't quite hit like CeeDee Lamb or Hollywood Brown, they were still the best on his team. This past year, he doubled the next closest receiver in yardage. He stuck with the team when Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley and everyone left to play with Dylan Gabriel and... A much worse offensive system. This is a guy who whose athletic profile, outside of him being small, he's a bit under 5'11". He's only 180 pounds. He's a Z receiver. He's a field stretcher. He's not going to win contested catches. He's not that thick. But he. But we also watched State Flyers, and you can just tell Mims has much longer arms and bigger hands. And he's taller. And that makes a big difference because with Zay Flowers, if it's not perfect, he just can't win a contested catch. Mims can do that. He ran a 4.38, which is great. He had... Over 90th percentile jumps in both the vertical. He had a 39.5 inch vert. He had a 10 foot 9 inch broad. This guy is really explosive, really productive, and he's the style of receiver that we can use and use to the fullest because some of these guys like Smith and Jigba, we talked about at 12, more than just taking another first round receiver, we are not the team to be maximizing a high volume slot receiver because Smith and Jigba is at his best with how like Amon Ross St. Brown is used with the Lions. He gets a ton of catches. He gets a ton of volume. We don't do that. Mims is a guy who's stretching the, who's stretching defenses. He's getting a couple targets a game. He's going to be highly efficient in terms of his yards per catch. And we need that speed because I like Burks, and he's a big, deep threat. But really, he should grow into an all-around X receiver because we saw that down the stretch when we had Dobbs at quarterback is he's more than just a deep threat. He can do it all because he's so big. But everyone else, we just don't have the speed. We haven't had that speed for years. And Mims, I would say among the top receiving prospects, it's him and Hyatt as far as the fastest deep threats. 
I prefer Mims as a prospect, which is might be a bit surprising to some people because Hyatt went to Tennessee yeah. and he won the Blitnikoff. But well, but, Lane, I was actually going to ask you that. Kind of the way you're talking about him sounds like people talk about Hyatt. Like, why would you prefer Mims over Hyatt? It sounds like they were both, you know, schemes and you know the scheme type guys and faster than well, everybody else on the field. Well, the difference is Hyatt played a lot more slot. He was really just a slot only. He got a lot of off soft coverage. He played in a much better offense. Hooker and Hypel and that that whole scheme really opened things up for him. Mims, I mean, Venables as the head coach obviously isn't conducive to a great offense. Dylan Dylan Gabriel is a fine college quarterback, but he's not even to Hooker's level as far as NFL caliber stuff. But Oklahoma's offense... It's less gimmicky than Tennessee's, and what Mims does is more replicable because Mims plays outside a lot. He's only he's not that big, but he plays outside a lot because Hyatt, all of his stuff is he's in the slots. The guy is having to play off with how the system is, and he's just running through space and burning past guys. Mims is seeing press coverage. He's seeing man coverage on the outside, and he's making the adjustments. I mean, you watch the 2021 game against Texas when Caleb Williams comes in, Mims has an unbelievable route where he's the outside receiver to the right. He fights through man coverage. He makes a beautiful spinning, locate the ball with the last second catch and gets one knee inbounds for a touchdown. And you never see that with Hyatt. Hyatt is a great ball tracker. He's a great deep threat, but he just had it so easy in in the college. And Mims, he had his fair share of big play touchdowns where he was untouched and just ran by guys. But he just looks more replicable because he can play outside and he had a lot more reps against man coverage. I think he's a hidden gem a bit, and it's surprising at Oklahoma, but just the transitions that they've had to make. Uh, I like Hyatt a lot, and I, I think I do prefer Mims as well. They are similar places, but it's more pedigree. Hyatt has not been a known quantity for a while. Mims was a freshman All-American. I think I do worry a little bit about um, how Hyatt will hold up. Uh, Mims is surprisingly, he's 5'11", you know, 185. I mean, he's he's he has, uh, you know, a good build for what they're going to ask him to do at the next level Uh, and I think it's more I do think it was a little more difficult for him to catch passes from left-handed Dylan Gabriel with all the weird stuff they had going on last year Hyatt was put in a really good situation now he has great speed but Mims ran a faster time at the Cobb Mine. So I think yeah, when you really look at it, I think he's the better prospect. I think he could be available at 41. I really want us to take him there. I think he would be absolutely terrific. He'd be a lot of fun, and he's gettable. I, I know there are other guys too, and uh, that'd be fun. But if we want to answer these questions and a guy that would be okay with being thrown at four times a game, because that's what you know a Titan receiver's got to be okay with. Yeah, I've talked myself into Mims at 41 too. I want Darnell Washington at 41, but I mean, as his biggest fan, I can't justify saying, oh, well, he'll be there at 41. But there's a, a slightest glimmer of hope in my heart because I'm reading all these mocks drafts by the analysts and the people that are plugged into the industry. Washington is always falling past us in the second round. He's always going late late 40s, early 50s, 48 to Detroit is a common spot. So they could be wrong because they think Kincaid is awesome and I don't think Kincaid is all that, among other players that they like. But, I mean, it's just Darnell Washington. I mean, Nathan Ari gave him his praise. He is unbelievably unique as a tight end prospect. And he, I want him to succeed regardless. And our offense is the best situation for him because some of these mocks have him going late first as just, oh, he's a super talented tight end. He's a great blocker, which is true. But if the Bengals take him at 28, would he be really good helping the block? Yes. Would he help their line? Yes. But they pass all the time. Are you going to make him pass block all the time or are you going to run routes a bunch? With us, his best trait is his run blocking and then sneaking out, catching a short pass, getting that momentum going, and then just dragging guys because he looks like Gronk physically. <laughs> I want him... 
in two-tone blue at 41. If he's there at 41 and we don't take him, that would be the most heartbreaking pick I think I've ever had to witness. But ever? I, I mean, as far as someone I really wanted and we didn't take, Eddie Jackson-ish. Yes. I mean, Des Fitzpatrick was a different kind of heartbreak because he was garbage. But I, at the same time, at, at, at the Des Fitzpatrick pick, there wasn't anyone I was loving where I was like, oh, I can't believe he's still here. I, I can't wait for us to draft him. With Washington, if he's there and he fits us because for as good as Chig is, he's not much of a blocker. He's more of a receiving tight end. He, you let him that fullback and do some weird stuff. Darnell Washington fits us perfectly, and he is just amazing, and I really want him. I'm just not going to get my hopes up until... I see on the screen Friday night, pick 41, Tynes logo, Darnell Washington, TE, Georgia. I'm not going to believe in any of this until I see it for real because I don't want to get my hopes up. Big fella, you got anybody that stands out to you you've kind of fallen in love with in the in the film you've watched? I, I wouldn't say anybody I've fallen in love with because I could be flip. I, I could be convinced anywhere. I'm, I'm looking at where they have, I'm looking at a mock right, right now. And at 41, they have us taking Keon White out of Georgia Tech. I don't think we need a def- a def- an edge rusher right there, and I don't know if he's the guy. I-, I haven't watched him that much, but there are two guys that I do really like at 41 that should be there and play. I think Steve Avila, we've talked about him before at a TCU. That guy playing guard, I think, fills a giant hole that we've lost from Nate Davis and from just not drafting that position recently. I also... Yeah. Really like John John Michael Schmitz out of Minnesota, a center. His comp is Ben Jones. And the thing that I think is most impressive is the guy played nearly 60 games in college, started 60 games in college. I don't care who you are. If you can start 60 games in college in in Division One college football. Trying to do the math on that. That's just ridiculous. He played a sixth year. He's a redshirt senior. Um, So uh, it's an understanding of the game, especially at center at that level. The intelligence, his intelligence off the chart, off the charts. And I think he could be a, a day one starting center the problem is we just pretty much guarantee there brewer is going to get get paid four million dollars to be our center i don't know if it moves us out of that pick to take him at that spot but probably i, I, I would think scary. so too I, I would think so too but I, I i just i see him on the board and he could be who was the guy i, used, I liked at a, at a iowa that was pissed that we didn't draft desmond uh, not Desmond King. He could be my Desmond King this year. Wow. I, I, I could feel That's horrible. I, I could feel horrible if we miss out on him and he goes on to be an all-pro player. Avila and Michael Schmitz are the two round-tier interior linemen that are the cleanest fit because there's a couple other guys that are converting from tackle at a lower level, like Mount from North Dakota State, which he could be good. I haven't watched <laughs> him yet, but after the Radins debacle, I'm just... He could be a trainer. I don't know if going to stay. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm good for now. But with those two, they make sense at 41. And there is still a massive hole at left guard, which if we draft if we draft a lineman first round, them or Petit Freer would probably go there. But it is a big need. My only thing with Schmitz is, yes, he's super experienced. He graded out really well in all the metrics by PFF and all that. The, si- the six-year stuff does worry me because mm-hmm. at a certain level, like, I mean, this is a guy, there are players in the NFL right now who are entering their third year, who are younger than him. They've played two years in the NFL. They, they're younger than him. He's just so much more physically developed and mature than a lot of the guys he's going against that I do wonder, because yes, the Big Ten is super physical and tough, and if you can play as much as he did in there and be really good, you're not going to be bad. You're a good player. It's just when you're no longer going up against college kids that are like 20, 21, maybe 22 on the high end, and you're a 24-year-old, what does it look like when you no longer are a grown man 
playing against kids. I mean, you know, he wasn't playing in the SEC. I mean, Big Ten is very good for offensive linemen. They're they're always really tough. Oh, for sure. No, no, no disrespect SEC to football. the Big Ten. It's just yeah, age no. is, with the, with the COVID stuff does create an interesting discussion yeah, in terms of philosophy yeah. because usually the oldest guys we see in the drafts are fifth year guys as far as like legitimate prospects. 22, 23, not yeah, 24, yeah. 25. Like, right. Well, and it, I guess the COVID thing created that and it is an interesting thing to navigate. It may not wind up mattering for some of these prospects, but it worries me a little because what if some of these guys that were drafted two years ago got to play two extra years of college or they did? It would be hard to evaluate. It would, but I guess my, I guess my point with that is he played at Minnesota. It's not like he played six years of center at Alabama or, you know, Penn State or whatever. Like, this is a guy that chose that he wanted to be part of the program and continuously get himself better. Maybe maybe last year he didn't grade out as high as he would have liked to. Maybe he had a fourth round gra- fourth round grade instead of a second. or And he wanted to better himself that way. I, I, I think, to me, looking at a guy who's played six years in the Big Ten, it's, it's more of an integrity thing. And a guy that wants to be ready to play when his number's called in the draft, I think he's just a guy that wanted to to perfect his craft and be the best one of the best center product prospects out there and i think i I think he could be i would say he's easily my top center in this class because it is i am not really inspired by this draft class at all because some people like tip him in from wisconsin because wisconsin linemen are always great I think, too big to play center. I think he's too big to play center. I think but he's yeah. too big, and you can see it on tape. And he could certainly kick to guard. But if we're talking centers, it's easily Michael Schmitz there. So Landon's going to go high points of some guys he likes from tape that he's watched. We're going to do a bit of a lightning round here. All right. So quarterback, there's not really anyone out there because there's the top five guys. My opinions and all of them are well known. If I had to restate one opinion. Will Levis is total garbage, and I will spend my entire summer waking up nauseous every morning knowing that we drafted him in the first round. At running back, Chase Brown from Illinois, a guy who's been a total workhorse, which will turn some people off because just the wear and tear of the position. But this is an elite athlete. He scored a 9.5 relative athletic score, which is amazing. He ran a great time. He's short. He's thick. He's explosive. He's super experienced because he was Illinois' entire offense. He's a capable pass blocker and receiver. This is a guy that'll go on day three sometime, maybe even the fifth round because of just how much he's played. But we've seen so many guys go later on that are productive and athletic, and they're good in co- and they're good in the NFL. Because guess what? If you're re- if you're really athletic and you know how to play the position, you'll be good. So Chase Brown, for the fancy people out there and just the people looking for a sleeper, if he goes to the right team, he could easily sneak into being the lead back in a committee. At interior offensive line, this guy won't play this year because he tore his ACL at the combine. Which big Phil, have you ever seen that before? A guy get that injured at the combine? I mean, obviously we've seen guys like Jeffrey Simmons get hurt in their own offseason workouts away from everything, but. The combine well, itself, getting a guy like that. The thing that gets me crazy, because he tore his ACL running the 40, right? Yeah. Bo- for We're talking linemen, about Andrew Voorhees, the guard from USC. Yeah. For for linemen, there is absolutely no need for them to run a 40-yard dash. This year is proof why. And I think you're about to tell us that he could be, a, you know, a steal. Yeah. Realistically, you could just have them run a 20-yard 20 20 dash, because with linemen, you want the agilities, the jumps, and the 10-yard split. The short I don't think you need pass. it. You have game tape. You have enough game tape to evaluate these guys and well, see that's how you, but, quick they are. But having numbers doesn't hurt. But yeah, with Voorhees, this is a, guy, this is a situation where... Where he's not going to play year one at all because of the torn ACL. But the thing is, before that, he would have been a round three pick, later round three pick. He's a very boring player if you go and watch him. Like, just rock solid guard. You can see him coming in the NFL, be 
being a rock solid guard. But the thing is, he will fall much like Damone Clark did from LSU, the linebacker from LSU last year, because he had a neck injury that would take him out his entire rookie year. If this, if you've got a day two prospect going mid to later day three because of injury, that's fine. A fifth round pick, there are plenty of fifth round picks that don't even make the final roster. If this is a guy that could have been an okay starter and you're getting him in the 150s or the 160s, it's fine. And he's a bit older too, which isn't the best thing in the world, but he's he was he played a lot of games at USC, played in a high tempo offense, so he had plenty of reps. Really the only question is with him is plenty of other teams are gonna think this because this isn't because Damone Clark's neck injury could also it also had potential to be a future recurring injury that could just keep him from playing football ever again because one bad hit and he's paralyzed. With Voorhees, it's a torn ACL. That's nothing. That happens all the time. You and we we pair at this point every single episode. There aren't enough linemen. Every team needs a lineman. You're getting. You could be getting a steal of a starter for a day three pick, and you just have to be okay with okay. We'll only get him for three years on a rookie deal instead of four, and that's fine. On the defensive side, I mentioned this earlier about the top end not being that good. There is not a single defensive lineman or linebacker that I like in this class as far as compared to the consensus I'm higher on. And most of them, I'm just like, eh, I, I can see them being good. But for the most part, I don't see it, especially linebacker. The linebackers this year are pr- pretty gross, honestly. Like just looking at just looking at the top guys, it's like, is this really the best we have? But going to a position I do like, edge rusher, Will Anderson, it's... I can't really say I like him because obviously he's Will Anderson. He's amazing. But compared to some people that have knocked him for not being a Miles Garrett athlete and the people that push Tyree Wilson above him because of the frame stuff, I'm a fan. I mean, this is a guy that I would, if I had any reputation or career as a draft analyst, I would bet my career on Will Anderson being awesome because he checks every box I want. And just don't overthink it. He's awesome. That's it. Were you going to say something, big fella? Oh, I was just, you know, I was just looking at, you know, rankings. And uh, when you when you said he's just, you know, incredible, I, I, I have to agree. I mean, the guy has every measurable you could ever look for. He played on probably the baddest defense in all the land. Like you're saying, don't overthink it. You're not in love with a quarterback. Take him. I mean, it, it'll plague us for years to come. Yeah, it'll, it'll suck seeing him twice a year, but <clears throat> just purely objectively as analysts and football fans that are thinking about how do we make a team better he yeah. he makes perfect sense oh then without another, a doubt yeah another edge rusher i'm looking at is will mcdonald from iowa, iowa state, state. Yeah, he's an interesting one because he's really really light like he played at 245 but they played him as like a four technique inside the offensive tackle because that's how they ran their defense and he is old and i'm that does give me some pause otherwise he'd be higher because he i want to say he's 23 and a half he's probably the bendiest edge rusher in this class and he has when when he got a chance to play as a 3-4 stand-up outside linebacker, rush outside the tackle shoulder, you can just see that bend and flexibility and speed off the edge that we don't really see is among the other top edge rushing prospects in this class because there's a lot of projects. Nolan Smith is a project. Van Ness is a project. Miles Murphy is a project. Will McDonald about, it doesn't really have about, doesn't have their ceiling, but McDonald is just he plays his right position. He'll be good right at the start. What about Isaiah Foskey at a Notre Dame. What are, you, what are your thoughts on him? Have you watched any of him yet? Yeah, I, I watched Foskey, and he's just, he's just. I mean, he he's solid. He's not bad. It's just I don't see the upside or or burst from him, and I, that might be because he was getting hyped up early in the draft process before people were really looking because he was good for Notre Dame down the stretch of the season before he started out the year well. But as the draft process has gone on, he's been falling. I was never on that high on him to begin with. To me, he's like late round three, early round four. I mean, he's not bad. It's just 
I just don't see the upside with him like I do McDonald because McDonald kind of can, I can see him becoming an Yannick Ngakwe type player where his run defense is probably always questionable, but you need a designated pass rusher. You need a guy that will force turnovers. That's your guy. And Ngakwe, even though he's bounced around for a variety of reasons, he's always been really impactful because having a great pass rusher and force and a guy that can force fumbles i mean every team needs that then at and then at defensive back i'm not i'm not super opinionated on the top guys like gonzalez witherspoon i think they're yeah. both gonna be good i mean they'll that's both my, be good yeah opinion. it was like with horn and certain and certain i was like yeah either please yes i suppose i'm lower on joey porter i didn't I'm I not was a fan of his tape. Say it. Yeah, but you two, you two, and especially John, you can't John, let you like Bella have nice things. You just cannot <laughs> let him have nice things. <laughs> I was why. waiting for it. Yeah, I know because Big Big Bell obviously loves him. But for me, I'm just watching the tape, and he's not he's not a natural at it in terms of playing the ball because he's grabby. I just I watched as many games as I could. He is so physical, and teams will love it. And the media will love it. like, oh, he's so physical. He's a junkyard dog. He'll get in your face and slap you around and shut you down. Yeah. Let him play it's press like, coverage yeah, you, all day. It's like, like, I mean, he could if he refines his hand usage because otherwise, just watching that, I see time and time again, yep, that would be a hole. That would be a PI. He's not getting his head around. That's really telling the line there. And plenty of, and countless defensive backs have overcome the he's too grabby and physical in college allegations. But for me, I didn't see the long speed. His press coverage did not inspire me as much as what people talked about. And Comparing it to Sauce Gardner isn't fair because Sauce Gardner was unbelievable. But Sauce Gardner in press coverage had that reputation. His press coverage wasn't, I'm mauling you and dragging you all over. It's, I'm sitting in your hip pocket the entire time and you can't get away from me. And that's the difference because his wasn't, I'm playing so physical, I'm at risk of drawing flags. It's, I'm playing so well that I'm breathing down your neck. And Porter could be good. I He, will, he should still be a first-round pick. It's just, I think he should be going in the 20s not the mid-teens. And I do think, especially early on, as he learns that the NFL is less lenient on what you can and can't do physically, he will get flagged a lot, and he will struggle at first. Cornerback's always that kind of position. But, I mean, he's got the bloodlines. He's got the drive. He won't be bad. I don't see the upside. He's got the bloodlines. He's got the pedigree. He knows what what it takes to to be successful in this league he's played at a big time program where we've seen a lot of big time players come out of at penn state and i just you know i like him he's got the ideal size for a corner he's 6'2 193 34 inch arms he, he's very physical I, I i think you know i don't want us to take him at 11 don't get me wrong i don't want to i don't want him at 11 but if we can find some way to take him um you know in the second round if we could uh, you know trade up into the very back end of the first round i don't think you'll last to 20 but he won't because he's he, expected to go late teens like people mock him to pittsburgh because of his dad but he also fits what they need because they need a corner yeah and he fits their style they need another good defensive player because when old boy got hurt last year they they yeah. looked T- awful. yeah tj is holding that house of cards together yeah so yep. they, they just yeah. need to add talent. Why Cam Hayward and Mika Fitzpatrick are covering up a lot of holes there. Fair. Lynn. And safety, there's really not anyone named. That's another position where, especially <clears throat> at the top, there is just really nothing there. I suppose I would say Jordan Battle, the other safety from Alabama, mm-hmm. which I'm not really putting myself out there like, oh, the guy that started a bunch of games for Alabama. I like him, but... I mean, he's solid, like, Branch steals the attention and for good reason, but, I mean, Battle is, like, he'll be a solid start. He'll be a solid second safety. Or on a team that runs a lot of three safety looks, he can pl- he can switch around and he can be that, he can be that guy. I mean, he's going to be a third, fourth-round pick. I really don't like the safety class in general, but with Battle, it's like, yeah, he's not going to be bad. I mean, he's going to be no. – he, he will be a valuable rotational 
third safety at worst. And his median outcome is he's a decent starter, and that's good. But just this draft class in general, maybe we've been spoiled the past couple of years with the talent at the top, but it's just, it's not inspiring. I like some of the talent, especially it's spilled it. It's skill positions maybe after the first round, but yeah, it's super fun. I do think there's some depth at defensive end, and that's fun. Yeah. And that you don't see that every year, but that's fun. But like the defensive tackle draft, it pretty much does not exist. It's awful. As someone that's a Jalen Carter hater, because <laughs> if you like Jalen Carter, he is saving. But otherwise, I mean, I was looking through like I watched some Brian Brissett tape just because I had some time. I was like, I don't like him, but at the same time, I mean, him versus Cansey is like one of them kind of has to be the second best defensive tackle in the class. And what, Cansey, what about the big dude at a at a Michigan Smith? Mazzy Smith. I, yeah. I mean, no, I'm gonna he he gets taxed for me because he's more of a nose tackle, which. I mean, semantics, but it's like, I want a guy that plays more, pass rushes more. But even Mozzie Smith, it's like, if he's, I've seen a bunch of the media put him late first. It's like, really, Mozzie Smith is like the second, third defensive tackle? Yeah, because he's no dancing bear. I mean, yeah. you know. He's not, like, he's not me today. You want, if you yeah. take him in the first uh, round, yeah. dancing bear, I don't see that. Yeah, but as someone who is out on Jalen Carter... For the character issues, for his conditioning, for the fact that even though PFF will say like, oh, he's as good of a defensive t- tackle prospect as Quinn and Williams that we've ever graded. It's like, oh, his grade is so good. He's such a great pass rushing guy. It's like his pressure numbers aren't that great. His sack numbers aren't that great. His tackle for loss numbers aren't that great. And he, and he was being, he was being shielded his conditioning issues playing on that stacked Georgia rotation. Cause it's a lot easier. Like we looked at the other top defensive line. Prospects over the years, like Quinn Williams played all the time. Simmons played all the time. Donald played all the time. I mean, you just, these are outliers of like Leonard Williams. Just if you are a blue chip defensive lineman that should be going top 10, you should not be getting load managed. And I know that's what Georgia does. And last year, the last year, Jordan Davis went 13th, but he's a freakish athlete at nose tackle. And even then he was, a, he, I think he was a reach just in terms of positional value. But Jalen Carter, it's like, yes, he's good, but he's not dominant. He's not a dominant physical athlete. He's like 6'4", 305 through 10. That's good size. That's not freaky. It's not like he's Chris Jones. He's like 6'6", 310. He's towering over guys or he's super fast. It's like, yes, he's good. But if he is as good as PFF and everyone thinks he is, where he's so awesome and so amazing, why was he not more productive? Yeah. Because the best defensive tackles are productive. Like we talked about Quinn Williams. Quinn Williams only played that, only started that one year. That one year, he had as much production as Jalen Carter's entire college career. Sure. And he was playing on a less stacked defensive line. He and he was playing all the time. Because and I want a defensive tackle that can play as much as I need to. That doesn't need to be low managed in college. Because it came out, he was gassed very early on in the Ohio State game. The playoffs. This is your biggest game of the year. This is the toughest team you face. This is the playoffs. And in the first quarter, he's gassed. He's so gassed he can't complete his pro day. I mean, have you ever heard of a prospect, let alone a guy that's supposed to be this awesome talent, not being able to finish a pro day? To be fair, big fella, I I get pretty tired around the holidays, too. (laughs) Same. The point's made. Like, you see, there is a pretty good historical record of really good defensive tackles coming from big programs and how, you know, they were able to find production there too. I don't see him as a top flight prospect for the same reason, uh, because he, you can look at advanced stats and see pressures and stuff. I just didn't see it from him. And the, in the optics aren't good with that accident and everything. Everybody knows it. I, I don't see him going really probably past, uh, Seattle and no way he gets past right. Chicago, right? Chicago is his floor. It seems like 
or especially Philly, because Philly oh, is Philly yeah. gobble them up. No, yeah, don't Philly, even. They live yeah. there. Yeah, Philly <clears throat> would slap them over the head as much as it took to get him right. Yeah, well, just think about it. We talked about this yesterday. It's like uh, Fletcher Cox isn't going to let him do shenanigans. It's yeah. like you know, like he would be an ideal spot for him. But I don't know if I want Philly to get even better. No, his floor <laughs> is nine because they were linked to him, and that was before his really bad offseason process. But teams will take a risk on him because. The teams at the top, like defensive tackle is important, especially for the Bears who don't have any. And like we talked about, I mean, Jen Carter's image is being propped up by the fact that just the second guy after him is just so far behind him. And he's really good, but he's like 6'1", yeah. 280. That's the thing. Like the next best guy is just, they're small. Like it's just not, it's yeah. not a good class. It's, so it's, Carter's yeah. going to have to go high. Yeah, it's really bad because I talked about like the top end talent. We were just looking through past draft. The top 10, 15 had all these guys. And then you talk about this. I, we were actually talking about Johnny Carter. It was like over the past, like up until I want to say 2018, just his prospect is like, we didn't think he would be a top 10 prospect any of those years. Mm-hmm. And he's being gassed up as a guy that like before the Bears straight out could be the first overall pick. Well, and he's really thing- good because he has the flashes. It's just flashes don't make a prospect because so many guys have been talented and had those flashes and didn't work out. Like Malik McDowell. Malik McDowell had those flashes. He had the character concerns. The character concerns won out. He got in a stupid accident, and his career was over before it even began. And Jalen Carter nearly got into a similar situation before he even got drafted. I I hope, well, number one, with his accident, I hope hope Jalen Carter... You know, I I hope after that he kind of snapped back to reality. But I mean, based on his pro day, probably didn't. So and, and that could be from, it's a tough yeah. situation. Yeah, it's a tough fair. situation, and I might be being a bit hard just because of everything that he had been through and had to deal with. That would take a toll on you and your focus and your health. But this stuff matters, and I mean, he is really cruel to say, but like he brought it on himself for yeah. lack of a. Yeah, nicer way to say it is that it's it got out yeah. of hand and that's not all. But you yeah. you're in that situation; those things can yeah. happen. It's it's true. Yeah. I I would like for him to prove me wrong and for this just to be a really bad nightmare few months and he turns around, but just just yeah, looking really at yeah for somebody not yeah. in the AFC South. Yeah, yeah, just looking at it objectively, it's like when all these boxes are left unchecked, it just really makes you wonder what you're missing that everyone else is supposedly seeing. So, big fellow, there's a guy you'd really like i don't think we talked about mingo the receiver from Ole miss we watched his tape he ran a really fast time he's super strong super big didn't get to be super productive um just for whatever reason but uh, he's a guy you would like he's just huge and uh, yeah i've got him on my list Ole miss receivers uh mingo's a guy who can get overlooked but he's like mims either one of those guys i'd just be thrilled to have i don't know i think he'll go more 50s and 40s but if we had a situation to trade back and get him uh, he would be a really good fit for us i think mims is a better fit but he I don't know why he's not going to go higher because he kind of checks all the boxes I think DK Metcalf and AJ Brown kind of put Ole Miss on the map as far as you know wide receiver you recently and they certainly help but my issue is even with Metcalf's poor production because he was always injured is Mingo was pretty much a nobody until his past season and he was productive like he had 50 catches 870 yards five touchdowns but 270 of those yards came against Vanderbilt and we're all big Vanderbilt fans here but (laughs) But Ju- it's but not Ju- like yeah. doing that against Alabama. Yeah, but, yeah. Juicing, but juicing your stats against Vanderbilt when you have been productive at all kind of gives you pause. Like, A.J. Brown was super productive. Metcalf was the injuries, and he fell. Mingo is in that mold, especially in, in this year where so many of the, the receivers are short, they're skinny, they're light, they're slot only. He's one of those guys, even though they used him as a power slot a lot, he's the guy you can see, he's got that X body. He's like 6'2", he's 220, he's got the long arms, he's got the big hands, he's built for it. Oh, he's 
he's he's also a good run blocker, which I mean, that's what we look for in yeah. wide receivers. Yeah, I know that, and, I and think, it is nice like, to see, and especially because him versus Mims was an interesting thought process for me because I definitely prefer Mims as a prospect, but NFL.com had them graded exactly the same, and some a lot of places have Mim or Mingo starting to go higher. If your deciding factor is I want my receivers to hit certain physical benchmarks. Or I want a receiver that is like the times I didn't. He's like big, physical, rough them up, tough. And like you said, really good run blocker. Mingo fits that better than us. Like if you were just, you put them side by side without knowing anything about else about them and said, which one would you think the Titans would draft? You would think they would draft Mingo. Yeah, Mingo's more of a Titans type player, that's for sure. And he's big, but to be as big as he is, as fast as he is, I knew he's going to be a big fella type prospect. But I don't know. I'm I'm fine with him. I don't know about at 41. The idea is if we he failed with our third round pick or we traded up, that, that would be ideal, I think. It's more about value, I think, with him. Yeah, and really this entire receiver class, because we were looking through, we also watched some Addison and Dave Flowers, and we were looking through it. It's like the guys that are projected to go like in the first yeah. round, like the They're teens good. or like Flowers and Addison's good, but I don't want them there. Yeah. I don't want to spend a twenty fifth yeah. on them. That's the yeah. thing. I like the depth more. Not no offense to those guys are going to be good pros. Also, big fella, I'd refer to Zay Flowers as a uh, poor man's uh, Devonta Smith, and Landon was not having it. Well, I gave him a very I, sour look. I think it's I think it's relatively fair. Well, he has shorter arms and that's and Devontae Smith is not small, he's just slender and but Zay Flowers tape is super fun. You just wonder if he's going to be able to reach up and get balls uh, in the NFL at that level. But I'll tell you, Jay and Addison is very polished. I, I just I just don't know that they're much better than than guys down the road that you can get a way better value on. I think I was yeah, bigger. The, yeah. I think I was bigger than Zay Flowers in the sixth grade. I mean, you know, oh, he's, no, you he's, certainly he's not huge. <laughs> I was taller than Zay Flowers when I was in, when I was probably that same age. Just but he can yeah. ball. No, yeah. no, no, make no doubt about he's it. He certainly did. Yeah. See him that I, because he's just I don't know. He's yeah. small. Just yeah. Just looking at the cost effectiveness of where you're getting these guys is like Mims and Mingo are the two guys you're like in second round it's like do the other guys that are particularly in the first round do they have better indicators of future success to better pedigree and all that sure but taking one of those guys in the late first versus getting Mims or Mingo mid-second Mingo at 58 and then you can get Addison at 20 I think I'd rather have Mingo at 58 and pick another player I mean I guess that's what I'm saying I, I think I don't think Addison's going to be transcendent. He's not big enough. And you look at Mims, and he he projects as well as Flowers or Addison. Yes, maybe they're better prospects, and he's going to go around later, probably. I mean, that's the way you got to look at this stuff, and especially for the Titans, it's going to be more about fit. Yeah. So coming away from this weekend, I have a better appreciation for the depth and the second and third level guys in this receiver class. Mm-hmm. And my opinion on the top level guys has kind of remained unchanged because my evaluations haven't changed. But in terms of where I would take them, I've lessened on them because this is definitely a down year for receivers. Everyone's saying it. The depth is the depth is still there, which is nice for us. But at the top, there isn't that guy. And that sucks because at 11, we could maybe get that guy. But the depth is there. That's good. This just seems like a blip because we look at the past four years of drafts. We've always had those guys, those no-brainer picks at receiver in the class. And there are generally four to five good receivers for sure. And then a couple guys way down, way down the board that... Maybe we all look stupid and all these guys turn out to be really well, but just looking at them as prospects, it's certainly underwhelming, especially after the past two classes we've had. But yeah. as far as the depth goes, I mean, the trend just keeps continuing. The wide receiver talent just in this country just keeps getting more and more saturated because there's just so many guys because every 
College just needs four or five of them, and everyone's passing now to so get on the field. There's not Marvin Harrison, who, of course, it, somehow we didn't talk about Ohio State at all in any way, and yet he got brought up. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I want to trust in Carthen and Variable that we'll find someone that can contribute. When what are your thoughts on Cedric Tillman? You know, we've talked about Hyatt, but he's, you know, Tillman is also a pretty physical receiver. He drops a lot, a lot of comps to Michael Pittman. He's bigger. He's 6'3". Where do you think he's going to fall? Uh, before Landon answers, I like Tillman a lot, of course. You worry about the injury stuff. He's got a good size. I'm more, I want to know, Landon, beyond what you like about him, where do you think he goes? Because I think that'll be interesting. I could see somebody liking him and going, I could see him going in the third round, which puts him in play for, for us for sure. Uh, Tillman's Tillman, good player. I'm neutral on Tillman as a prospect, he doesn't really move me one way or another. Not to say that as a bad thing, it's just watching him and having a general idea of what the popular consensus has on him. It's about why I'd say, I mean, I've looked into the injury stuff. Unless it's chronic like the cornerback we drafted, who shall not who we will not name. It's really hard to say for sure that it's gonna be an issue, but he's another of those guys that I think is gonna get pushed up a little bit more than his raw grade for me, but just because there just aren't many big receivers in this class and teams need that guy. And I would say most places have him as a late second, early third. I have him more as a solid later third, but I can definitely see the argument for taking him higher because like some of these guys are too small for teams or they don't have the right fame Tillman has that frame he's been productive when healthy the way he was productive is more sustainable and translatable than what Hyatt does at 72 in the third round I'm fine with that because he has the size and the weight that you look for in an outside receiver and that we need in the third round at that point I mean unless Mingo falls which he won't because the trend with Mingo is he's going to go second round just like Mims Tillman is kind of the last good big receiver for a while as far as like you take him day three you take him round three it's not like ooh, well they kind of reached on him because they had to he's kind of that last guy so he's fine neither Tennessee's receivers really inspire me but I can see how they can be good it's just Tillman it's the injuries Hyatt it's the gimmickiness of his production but I mean they could definitely work out well because Hyatt I mean Hyatt is one of the best ball tracking deep threats I've scouted in a long time it's just the way he gets to that deep threat opportunity is really is really easy and fake from a scouting perspective but well I always thought I always thought Will Fuller was that kind of guy too and obviously his career was marred Fuller's by more of a high guy. Fuller is the worry right. about Hyatt that he's a one trick pony well and that I, I, well, sorry like, yeah Fuller turned out to be more complete than that fuller's problem as we all know is just the injury stuff which yeah, but I, which hyatt has but i had. think guys and sounds like yeah and, and it is unfair that i worry about hyatt's longevity and ability to stay healthy same thing with zay flowers because of their not because of their injury history just because of their frame yeah i, I don't quite see the same will fullerness fuller was more complete and he played outside more than hyatt did especially coming out. But I can see Hyatt having that Fuller ceiling because when Fuller was healthy and not getting suspended for PEDs, <laughs> he was he was awesome. Oh, he was a headache, and I hated him. Yeah, just him. the problem was he could never stay healthy, and when he did stay healthy, it turned out he was juicing to stay healthy. But I, you just look at the games when Will Fuller was healthy, he was a great player, and I can see Hyatt reaching that potential. He's not as big as Fuller. He's not as physical at the catch point as Fuller, but they've got that same threatening speed and downfield ability. 
Well, we've mentioned Will Fuller and Marvin Harrison Jr., so we, we can wrap the podcast now. That's what it takes <laughs> for us to have a complete one. We covered a lot of ground today. We're It's draft week. We're pumped. We're going to try to get back with you before and do some fun stuff. Um, this is our holiday week. We love it so much. I, I'm glad we had some time this weekend to look at more of these guys. Yeah, I don't want Landon to get you down about there are some good players, and we could really help ourselves in 2023 with this draft. I'm nervous. I'm nervous to see that they're competent and they're on the same page, I think you don't have to watch this stuff long to get a feel for for the direction they need to go, even if just generally. I think the big scary thing is like, well, we take this guy, where's the depth? And so the things we're talking about, you know, kind of this depth of players. This is, I think, how you have a successful draft is when you take a guy, uh, you've got to take it with faith that you have done your homework enough where you're going to be able to get, get a guy to another position of need. I don't know. I, I hope it's offensive tackle early, and then we go from there. And I would love to get another guy to add on the perimeter, another receiver, but I want it to be at, at value. I think that value happens to be there this year. That matches up well with what the Titans need and what's out there. Like you said, uh, you know, we we have all talked about the probability and hope of offensive linemen in the first round, but there are guys later on in the draft that we could take. One of those guys that I'm really curious to get your opinions on is uh, the arguably the biggest guy in the draft um, offensive tackle Dewan Jones uh, you know opposite of Paris Johnson Ohio State the guy is six foot eight 374 pounds and one pro scout literally wrote human mountain requiring long hikes to navigate I gotta know what you guys think I mean obviously I don't think he's He's obviously not first, maybe not even second round potential, but yeah, I think he could he's go a prospect. In the second round. I would say with Dewan Jones, it's that he's kind of maxed out because we talk about all these other guys who have who have the athleticism and the physical tools to get better, like technique. And he could get better at technique for sure. He relies a lot on just being bigger and longer than his opponent. With him, it's just for guys that big. It's kind of hard to change who they are just due to physics. Like him and Orlando Brown, which is the comp everyone makes for him. When you're that big and that long and that tall and that heavy, your issues can't go away. You'll always be vulnerable to speed and change of direction. It's not like someone who has a technique issue where they learn how to counter moves and learn how to use their hands. For Dewan Jones not to have those issues, he would have to become an entirely different person. Now, he's can certainly step in right, right away and play right tackle. His run blocking did not stand out to me for a guy that big and that long. Because you would think like, oh, he, like you said, he's 370. He's got the longest wingspan in NFL history among among combine guys. He should just be burying guys in the dirt every single play. He doesn't do that. He does more like what that quote said. He's the mountain. He just gets in their way and stop, and doesn't let them make the play. But he's not like Makai Becton, where Becton was similar size, similar weight, a lot more explosive. When he run blocked, he tried to kill guys. Dewan Jones does not have that dog in him, for lack of a more elegant way to put it. But I mean, if, he, if he's he there at seventy-two, oh for maybe. sure. Yeah. I, but he, he'll I'm not thinking, but he won't be. He'll go in the mid to late second because yes, he has his flaws, and you can't change those flaws. But at the same time, you can scheme around that because he has his issues. But he's so big and so long that beating him to the outside it's easier said than done because even if you take like the best NFL edge rusher, you give him the right help and help him learn how to counteract that weakness he can just physically get there before you because even if his he can't get his hips there his arms are so long he'll get there and just have your quarterback work around it he doesn't show the explosiveness and drive that you would think a massive offensive tackle would like he's not a mauler like you would expect but he's good i mean he's he's started i want to say two years Mm -hmm. at ohio state he's been really consistent there and i mean he doesn't have the upside just because he kind of is what he is just due to his 
build, but I mean, he can be a solid right tackle just because, I mean, we talk, like, you'll see people trying to make lists of, like, the best right tackles, and they get to 10 or 12. It's They're like, not that oh. many. That's what I was going to say. That's why DeWan Jones is going to go in the second round, because there's only 10 or 12 good right tackles in the NFL right now. Yeah, so I it's hard to see him being a tight end at all, because I doubt we'd see him at 41 for no. a variety of reasons. <laughs> I mean, he could, but I just don't see it, but wherever he goes. Yeah. yeah, wherever he goes, he'll probably meet expectations, because... It's hard to see him being that bad of a pass blocker just because he's so big to get around. But it's just hard to see him really outliving that because, like I said, I mean, he is what he is. But after Darnell Wright, Dewan Jones is the best right tackle prospect among the because he's actually played right tackle and he fits the bill of what guys of what teams want at right tackle is that big nasty Mauler guy, the giant dude. And I mean, he wh- whichever team gets him, it'll be fun to see. Yeah. Him on red zone for whenever we go against him because just watching him on tape and he towers over everyone. It's fun to watch. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. He's got two years of starting at Ohio State. I mean, there's there's a lot to like. A lot of it will depend on how quickly he writes off the board and how quickly he goes, I think, for sure. The next team that just really, really wants to have a right tackle, that's it. Let's do it. But, yeah, we'll see him anytime in the second. That's Tennessee Titans talk. We'll be back with you later on this week, but it's exciting to get on the board here and just talk about our favorite prospects. I hope we're dead right about all these guys, and I hope, more importantly, the Titans are dead right about who they like. We're going to get with you before and kind of talk about all the semantics and how much fun we have watching this thing. Read all you can. Enjoy this week, and we'll see you soon. Tighten up. Tighten up. Tighten up.